0: So I can't really begin to express just how much this passage has meant to me over the past uh, 12 to 18 months, uh, why I think it's of huge significance that it's come up now. Um, I, I really considered of preaching on this lots and lots of times. Uh, and as I said, I, I planned yesterday's retreat day, put it all in the diary, and then found out that we have the same passage today. It wasn't deliberate, but um, I just think it's amazing that I think God just wants to uh, reveal... Hope Hopefully, something fresh. Uh, Hands up if you know this story well. You've heard it before. I'm sure it's a very familiar story to many of you. And the danger of that is you think, okay, well, I I know where we're going with this and and, and what's going to happen. But I just want to just invite the Spirit to just work afresh through His Word that is living and active. His Word that is living and active. And whenever we come to His Word and we invite His Spirit to read it with us and through us and to us, that He can reveal new things. Either, even to those of us who, who spent a whole day looking at it, it's just say Jesus can still reveal new things today. And so we pray, Spirit, we just surrender to what you want to say and do through this passage. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder uh, what matters most to you in your life. What is the thing that you spend the most money on, if you were to look at your bank account? What is the thing that you spend most of the time doing? Uh, What is it you spend the most time thinking about when you're not doing it? Uh, Who are the people that matter to you, that are important to you? What are the things things or people of significance in your life, and what is the most important thing to you? Because for Mary, in this passage, it's very clear, and we're jumping straight in, it's very clear, the answer should be Jesus. (laughs) For Mary, it was absolutely Jesus. He was. The most important thing in her life at that time, with everything that she'd experienced, with everything that she'd seen, with everything she'd known of, got to know of him, she knew that there was nothing better she could be spending her time doing than being with Jesus. Not only being with him, but as it says in that passage, listening to every word he said, every single word he said. She was listening intently to Jesus, to every word he had to say, because she knew that nobody could be saying or doing anything more important than the Son of God being in front of her right in that moment. The chosen, promised Messiah is in front of her, teaching her and teaching others, and she knows that there's nothing more important for her in that moment. The context here does help us a little bit. For for some of you, you may know that this story appears uh, in more than one gospel. Uh, and and it's a bit questionable as to sort of uh, whereabouts in the events this this does take place, Uh, but it's uh, it's widely understood and and known that this is the same Mary and Martha who are uh, the the sisters of Lazarus, Uh, and this is thought to have taken place not long after Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. So I don't know how Lazarus was feeling at this particular stage, Uh, what was going through his mind, what was going through Mary and Martha's mind, uh, having witnessed uh, Jesus just raise, Lazarus, their brother, from the dead. Uh, but this comes just a, a little time. Obviously, we, we never really know how much time passes between passages. But when you read this story in one of the other gospel accounts, it happens after that resurrection has taken place. And so here you have uh, Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. That's significant as well, because we know that if Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he's on his way to his final week on earth. At this stage, uh, at this point, there are hundreds of people who love Jesus. Jesus and are following him and want everything to do with him. And there are hundreds of people who hate him and want him dead. And so he is on his way to Jerusalem and he decides on the way he wants to make a bit of a pit stop, a place to rest, a place to escape the crowds, a place to escape the chaos, uh, maybe to think, pray, reflect, but also uh, to teach some of the people who matter most to him And we read that he goes on slightly ahead of the disciples to the home of Martha and Mary. Jesus was keen to go to a place where he knew he could trust his hosts. where he knew he could trust their discretion, their confidentiality, where he knew he would be protected, where he knew he would be safe. Uh, And this is the home of Martha and Mary, friends of his, really close. You can tell how close they are through the story of the raising of Lazarus. It's a beautiful scene, and you see the friendship that they share. And so Jesus has arrived at Martha's house uh, on the way to Jerusalem. We don't know uh, how long he's staying Uh, We assume probably that the disciples are coming as well at some point later and this is Martha's home. This is her home and there's two main thinkings as to why this is Martha's home. Uh, the first is thinking that the, the, uh, Mary, Martha and Lazarus are orphans. Uh, their parents have passed away uh, and it's natural that the eldest child will receive the home. Martha's thought to be the eldest child and so she has inherited the family home. It is now her house. Some other scholars go uh, a little bit of a different direction and I think it requires some kind of speculation, but I quite like it in a way, uh, of saying that actually maybe she was is the kind of person who, who did foster caring, and this was like a foster home where she would take people in, waifs and strays, people, strangers on the gates, and she would make her home available to them. But either way, it's probably not a small home. It's a decent-sized home, and Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. And we find Jesus comes in, and immediately almost he sits down. And that's significant as well. Because when you are the disciple of a rabbi, you would follow that rabbi wherever he went. You would listen to every word he has to say. And what rabbis are particularly good at, and obviously especially Jesus, is making every moment a teachable moment. Every time you see something that's out of the unusual, Jesus could say, oh, by the way, the kingdom of God is like this. Or every time uh, somebody does something that's out of the unusual, Jesus could use it to teach about the things of God. That's what rabbis did, they, their entire livelihood. Was, was about teaching people about God in the everyday. And generally, a lot of that would happen whilst you're walking around. The rabbi would be talking, telling you things, teaching you things, stopping occasionally and pointing at things. But if a rabbi ever sat down, it meant that what they're about to say was of huge importance. If a rabbi sat down, uh, you would sit down with them to listen intently to everything that they're about to say. This is a huge, teachable moment when a rabbi sits down. Uh, we see Jesus do this when he opens a scroll and then he sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in me, you know the passage, I'm sure. Jesus is sitting down and there at his feet we find Mary. Against everything society should be saying in that scene, we find Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. In the eyes of society, she should not be there. She really shouldn't be there. First of all, because uh, at the time she's a woman, uh, and that place around Jesus' feet was reserved for the men, and particularly for the initial apostles and then uh, other disciples as well. It was a very uh, special, sacrosanct place to be sitting that close to Jesus. Equally, she, to be honest, to be fair to Martha... Mary should have been helping. Martha was totally right in, in her request of Jesus because it was expected that if you are the family home and the host is getting things ready, it is expected that your younger sister would be helping. It's perfectly acceptable for Martha to request that of, Ma- of Mary, but she's not. She's sat at the feet of Jesus. She's worked her way through the crowds. Probably with lots of muttering and mumbling going on as to who is this woman and what is she doing so close to Jesus. Uh, there obviously some commentators uh, do think that this may be the same scene as the Alabaster Jar. Really hard to know or not whether, whether or not it is. But anyway, here is Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, against everything society is teaching, against everything she should be doing in a commas. she is sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word. He says every word intently, not only listening, but I think this is one of those build your life on the rock moments that she's not only listening to this teaching of Jesus, but she knows she's going to be building her life on what he's saying, that he is her one thing. And then we have Martha And we know the story well. Martha, as we said, rightfully comes up to Jesus. And she almost kind of, I mean, I don't know how you read it, but I always read it as, Jesus, Mary's not listening to me. If you tell her to do it, maybe she'll listen to you. Maybe she'll pay attention to you because she's not paying any attention to me. Why isn't she helping? Can you not ask her to help. And then what Jesus does in that moment is of huge significance, not only to Martha, but to you and me today. He turns to Martha and he says, first of all, what did he say? Martha. He says it twice, actually. He says, Martha, Martha. I don't know if you realize how incredibly significant that is. Because you can leaf your way through the whole of Scripture, and you can count very easily the number of times that happens, because it's not very often. It is not very often that God uses a name twice. And whenever he does, it's hugely significant. And he'll do so for a number of different reasons. So take, for example, Moses, which is the first time, uh, one, of, one of the first times we hear it, where, where, Jesus, where, where God calls Moses through the burning bush, and obviously we have Moses, Moses. In that moment, he's wanting to make sure that Moses has his full attention. He's calling Moses by name, and it's something that had never happened in, like this before. Uh, and Moses is being called, and so the name is used twice, and it's of huge significance. We find it happen again to Abraham. Does anyone know at what point of the story that it happens to Abraham? When does Abraham's name get used twice? Abraham. Yes, just before he's about to sacrifice Isaac. And God interrupts him and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop what you're doing. I'll, I'll send you the, the ram. Uh, amazing. He's doing it obviously clearly to make sure that he has Abraham's attention, uh, that Abraham is fully focused on the fact that God is speaking to him. It happens also uh, in the story of Saul, uh, the story where where Saul is called, the name is used twice, uh, and that is very much to make it very clear that he is being called by name, uh, that is specific to him, that God, again, just getting his attention, making sure he knows that God is speaking to him. It also happens uh, with Simon Peter. Um, I think it's at the Last Supper. Uh, he, again, with tenderness and love, Jesus uses his name twice. So often when God uses someone's names twice, it's either to get their attention, to make sure they know that God is speaking to them, that they're listening, that they have his full attention, that they, yeah, he has their full attention, but also to let them know how precious they are to him. And I think with Martha, we have a combination of all of those things. That God wants to make it very clear to Martha, he's speaking directly to her in Jesus. And so, Martha, Martha, you are concerned and worried about many things. And what he's doing in that moment is he's bringing into the light the anxieties that Martha has been struggling with, the things that she's worried about, the things that she's buried, the things that she's concerned about. Jesus is bringing them into the light and inviting her beautifully to experience something that Mary is experiencing. It's very important to know Jesus is not condemning Martha for being busy. He's not condemning her for being hospitable because clearly she's being lovely, isn't she? She's trying to make the house ready, get the food ready, make it hospitable for Jesus. She's not doing a bad thing. Jesus is not condemning her for what she's doing. He's inviting her to experience something that Mary's experiencing. He's inviting her to something greater. Something that he actually refers to, and every translation does it because it's the most accurate way of doing it, to the one thing that matters. The one thing that matters. That is Jesus. And he's inviting Martha to see him the way that Mary has come to see him. He's not opposed to the effort that she's making, but he doesn't want her to earn something that she already has that favor that she already has in the eyes of Jesus. And he's inviting her to experience that one thing that Mary is sat on the floor experiencing in that moment. And it's a beautiful invitation to you and to me today. And he's inviting us not just to think about all the things he's done, he's inviting us to know him, to actually know him. Uh, I heard a quote this week that has become my new favourite quote and I'm going to make no apologies now. I'm going to be saying this a lot over the next couple of weeks because I think it's beautiful and it sums up something I've been writing for about 18 months better than I could and it's this. The best thing about Jesus is Jesus. The best thing about Jesus is Jesus. Mary has discovered that. She sat at the feet of Jesus and she knows there's nowhere else she'd rather be. There's nothing else she'd rather be doing than sat at his feet, listening to every word he's saying. And Jesus is desperate for Martha to see and to do the same. He's not telling her to be more like Mary. He's not comparing them in any way. He's not condemning Martha for what she's doing. He's inviting her into that relationship. We've said time and time again that what Jesus invites us to is not religion, it's relationship. He's inviting Mary and Martha together to experience him together, to know him as the one thing. I did this yesterday, I just want to finish reading these words from Colossians because I just think it just sums it up beautifully. And obviously, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. So it's usual Paul language and uh, sometimes a bit heavy, but good. Uh, And then he's, he's writing this to them and he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now here's the kicker. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. What more could we possibly want in this life? You have been given the fullness of Christ. The fullness of God in Christ is yours. And yet we want other things. or We get concerned by other things. And I'm not saying that we don't have anxieties, we don't have worries. Jesus is not saying that. But he's saying in those moments there is an invitation to know Jesus as your one thing. To know him as the one thing that matters in this life. Nothing else matters more than Him. You can have everything this world has to offer, but without Him you have nothing. You can have nothing, but with Him you have everything. What more could we want? So, the invitation to all of you this morning is to move closer, I think. Even if you consider yourself to be a Mary already and you're sat at the feet of Jesus soaking up every word he says, no matter what we learn about Jesus, there's always more to discover. There's always more to learn. And as we sang, the more we see, the more we love him. So the invitation is to draw closer. If you're more related to Martha, the invitation by name is to come and experience what Mary is experiencing, to know that he holds you, he has you, he loves you, wants relationship with you. If you're relating to the disciples who are trying to catch up with Jesus, you feel like he's rushed ahead of you and you've fallen behind, the invitation is to come into the home, sit at the feet of Jesus. If you find you relate yourself more to other people in the story, the invitation is the same. Come a little closer. Because nothing this world has to offer will compare to Jesus. Nothing. He is our one thing. And I'm not saying it's easy by any means. Life distracts us. The world is around us so hard. But nothing is more valuable in this world than Jesus. Let him be your one thing. The one thing that matters is the principle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if, even if things don't go the way I want, even if things don't work out the way I'm planning, even if things are hard, even if things are not uh, the way I like them to be, even if uh, there are struggles in my life, even even if, even if, even if I still choose Jesus as my one thing. I still choose Jesus as my one thing. Because what Jesus promises to Mary is that what she has is valuable and will not be wasted. Time with Jesus is never wasted. Never. So let's make him our one thing.